Welcome, everyone, to Strictly Anime, a podcast for anime reviews and discussions. My name is Courtney. And I am Carl. This is episode 139, and we're reviewing Suzume. As always, there'll be spoilers throughout this episode. This is a movie that we have seen advertisements for for a million years, it feels like. But that's because when we were in Japan back in the end of 2022, they were advertising the movie all over the place. Yeah, I think it had just come out at the beginning of November in Japan, and we were there around Thanksgiving. Um, But yeah, advertisements all across the train stations and billboards. I think I distinctly remember hearing the do-do-do-do-do-do play as a jingle in all those different places. I think we were hoping to watch the film while we were in Japan, because that would have made for a great experience. But obviously, there were no theaters in our area. Well, I think we had looked up because we were in an area where there were theaters because we had seen what Star Wars was it? Episode no, episode eight. Yeah, Last Jedi. We saw the premiere of that while we were in Japan, but that's because it's an English spoken movie and it had Japanese subtitles. But we went to a theater, I think, near the red light district. If I remember correctly. Yeah, Kabukicho. Yeah. Um, so we were thinking about going there or some to some theater in Tokyo, but we couldn't find it with English subs. I think yeah. was the, the problem. And we could try to deduce what's going on in this movie using or hearing just purely Japanese dialogue. But I think based on this movie, that would have been really fucking confusing. It's like that meme when weebs go to Japan and there are no subtitles around. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, yeah having to watch it like raw (laughs) would have been quite a challenge and even as we were watching the movie this time around i was trying to think to myself can i understand what's going on without reading the subtitles uh, below the screen i mean i could pick up every other word and i'm sure we could use context clues to figure out what's going on but i think that still would have been fairly impossible for us yeah i think it would again with this movie and I'll explain why in a little bit, but I feel like I would have struggled real bad if there weren't subtitles. So it's good that we didn't watch it for the first time in Japan, although that would have been a really cool experience. But it was interesting seeing all of the advertisements, um, mainly across the JR lines, because you see JR in the film itself. And I think they did a collab or sponsored the movie in some way because, yeah, there were Suzume everything posted on like the doors like the 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 doors leading into the train stations were covered in suzume even um, the stairways yeah the pillars um the areas outside of the train stations had all the suzume stuff so we were really excited to watch it and we finally were able to but before we dive into our thoughts on this movie we have a couple of things we want to catch up on first and foremost we have a new patron that we would love to welcome and that's our patron Clique, if I'm saying that correctly. <laughs> Welcome. How would you pronounce their name? I mean, I would default to click or click. I'm just kind of assuming what the pronunciation is because um, it looks kind of European um, in nature. I could be wrong, and I apologize to our newest patron if I am jumping to conclusions. But I think either way, I just we just want to say thank you click for your support 
It has opened up many doors for us. Yes, thank you so much. And if we are butchering your name, we apologize. Please let us know. But we appreciate you supporting our podcast and everything we do here at the Strictly Series. And if any of you guys would like to support the show and get access to things like our bonus episodes or our weekly pre-shows where we just talk about random stuff to warm up before each episode or if you're curious to know what episodes are coming out on strictly anime each month we have our show schedules available you can find all of that at patreon.com slash strictly series i want to give a shout out to you by the to way to me yeah because you recently surprised me with the limited edition legend of zelda tears of the kingdom nintendo switch oled or oled wow. i know there's like a debate on whether it's pronounced OLED or OLED. I say I say OLED, so we're just gonna stick with that. Um, but thank you so much for that. You are most welcome. That was very nice of me. <laughs> for those who don't know, The Legend of Zelda is my all-time favorite um, game series. I have a tattoo of the Master Sword. Like I just love it so much. I try to collect as much Zelda stuff as I can. And when I saw that come out, I uh, was certainly excited about it. And then you jumped on the chance and yeah, surprised me with it. So thank you so much for that. I'm super excited to really use it by playing Tears of the Kingdom. I've messed around with it a little bit, but I haven't actually played a full full on game yet. No, that was my pleasure. I know that you've been looking forward to this game for quite some time. And when they announced this special edition, I figured that would be like the, the cherry on top uh, for you to enjoy the Zelda experience. Particularly because I think you've had previous consoles that were like Zelda special editions too. Oh, I'm thinking of, yeah, like two Nintendo DSs. Yeah, and one of them was a regular DS. The other was the Zelda DS, which I thought was beautiful. Like this black DS with these gold, um, you know, like this gold Zelda design with the, the Triforce symbol and everything. That was really nice. Plus, it's not very often now that you get a, a new Zelda game. So I think Breath of the Wild came out back when the Switch was first released. Yeah, I was one of those plebs who didn't get a Switch right off the bat, so I played Breath of the Wild on the Wii U. And uh, yeah, so if there, I think I've heard something about being able to transfer some data from Breath of the Wild over to Tears of the Kingdom. I will not be able to do that because it's all stuck on the Wii U. But you're right, it's been five years since Breath of the Wild. That came mm. out in 2017, I'm looking up here. So yeah, it's it's a it happens often enough, but not often enough where I want to miss out on any cool Zelda merch. Right. So I figured, why not just get this special edition? Because I'm sure it's going to be quite some time before we get a new iteration of the Zelda franchise. And so why not celebrate this moment? I guess it's kind of like... With me, I'm a huge fan of the Grand Theft Auto series. And so the past two games, it's sad to say it's only been GTA 4 and GTA 5. I got collector's editions for those. Uh, who knows when GTA 6 will come out. But for the time being, I think everyone is going to start riding the Zelda high when it comes out. Um, of course, <laughs> we'll be taking care of the baby. But, you know, when you want to spend some time playing the game I'll, I'll let you let you go at it while i look after our young one yeah i keep joking around with everyone i'm like don't come looking for me i'm either going to be playing zelda or looking after the baby <laughs> <laughs> jumping back into suzume um i know we normally talk about our initial thoughts uh before we dive into the nitty-gritty details of the movie and our review 
But instead of talking about initial thoughts, I want to point us to a an initial question that maybe we can try to answer over the course of this review. And that question is, what was the point of this movie? <laughs> what was it trying to establish or tell the viewers? I think that just shows right off the bat our probably different opinions about Suzume compared to the rest of the community. <laughs> well, here's the weird thing. Um, normally when we come across a movie like this where I'm like, what was the point of this movie? Which I hate to say, sometimes Studio Ghibli movies leave me with that feeling. Like, what was the point of this movie? Um, when I come across those types of movies, I I don't normally enjoy them because I, I don't know what I'm rooting for, what I'm getting behind or what I'm supposed to take away from it. However, even though I felt that way about Suzume, like what what is the the story here really like what's what's the lore blah 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 i still found it really entertaining and fun like mm -hmm. it's it just it's a strange dynamic for me because i feel like i should dislike it given the fact that i'm like what's going on here but i weirdly still enjoyed it i don't know like it's it's hard for me to describe it's like this mix of emotions where i'm like damn it's fun to watch even though i have no fucking idea what's going on <laughs> i usually reserve that kind of feeling for movies where you can just kind of turn your brain off <laughs> like like the john wick movies they are there's no substance in the plot it's just a guy who's just going around killing people uh, but you know for movies that are made by makoto shinkai i would expect a little bit more out of them uh so i know we've only watched three of his movies so far those being your name weathering with you and now suzume so his past three movies and the first two I really enjoyed, and I thought they each had respective powerful messages about like love and, and finding your soulmate and all of that lovey-dovey stuff. Uh, with Suzume, I know it went in a different direction, but as I was watching the movie, I kept thinking to myself, I'm not resonating with anything in this movie. Yeah, I kind of got a similar sense, but to, even despite that, I still just like from a pure entertainment and enjoyment perspective, I thought it was solid. Like I, I felt satisfied by the end of the movie, just yeah, thinking I, I, I enjoy too. what mm -hmm. I watched, which is different than Weathering With You, where I understood the story. There was a more cohesive story. There was like a, you know, a, a moral behind everything, but I didn't feel satisfied because I like just didn't enjoy that movie as much. Like it was still a good movie, but I would say of the Makoto Shinkai movies we've seen, I would put Weathering With You at the bottom. Um, but this one, it's like, I don't know, it, it's... It's this weird dynamic where there's so much just interesting stuff happening on screen, even if that stuff doesn't have like the substance that you're talking about, where I'm least entertained at a basic level. Yeah, I, I think in that sense, the movie was very ambitious. And I like that for the most part, it kind of went in a different direction than the previous two films that Shinkai has done. Um, more so in that there was less of the sort of romantic overtones, I guess, even though there's like this dynamic between Suzume and what's his name? Sota. Uh, but then there are just so many other elements, like, like the typical supernatural stuff that we've seen in his previous works. And then the whole thing with the doors. I don't know. Maybe it's just everything was kind of just thrown into the mix. But to me, it, kind of felt muddled and in that way I sort of 
lost meaning. Like I lost the meaning of what Suzume was meant to be. But here's here's the question: Did it establish what that meaning was supposed to be? Now, okay, let's let's go through um, the the synopsis um, and kind of give everybody a refresher before we dive into this because I feel like this is going to be a pretty big discussion. Um, and as always with our movie reviews, we're not going to do things like by acts or. Um, chronologically just because it's a little more difficult with a movie we're just going to talk openly about this movie so let's jump into it and then I think we can really dive into what's missing here because I do have some specific things that I wanted to share so with that strictly fam time to pull out all the doorstops as we fling open our synopsis and discussion for Suzume the 2022 fantasy adventure anime film written and directed by Makoto Shinkai and produced by Comics Wave Films the film follows eponymous student Suzume, who ends up opening Pandora's Gate at an abandoned onsen in her town and ends up assisting a debonair door dasher named Soda in closing more of these ethereal portals across the country thanks to a naughty Neko who decided to abandon its post and stop Wormy from leaving the door to ravage the island nation like he did to Bikini Bottom. Further complicating things is the fact that Naughty Neko has turned Soda into a child's wooden chair and causing quite the stir on social media, because nothing attracts attention better than seeing some pussy cat on the internet. Suzume, however, bonds well with the debonair Davenport DoorDasher as they travel across the country for the Three Doors Down tour, running into some kind NPCs along the way. Once the pair track the Naughty Neko to Tokyo to shut the fourth door, however, Wormy is on track to stir up some real Earthquaker oats, forcing Suzume to use Soda's sultry seat warmer to stop the supernatural seance, effectively turning him into a senseless stone-cold security guard and sending him to the not-so-happily-ever-after. Suzume then gender-bends the ever-beloved running-after-the-girl anime trope and enlists the help of her jaded aunt and Soda's equally jaded college friend to track the sultry seat warmer through a door in her abandoned hometown entering the not-so-happily-ever-after to turn Soda back into a real living boy toy and stopping Wormy for good with an assist from the not-so-naughty Neko and its black cat counterpart. Before departing the realm, however, Suzume runs into a vision of her younger self traveling through the not-so-happily-ever-after many years ago to find her deceased mother and pulls a prisoner of Azkaban in deciding to comfort her miniature self, thereby making this place a little more happily ever after. Suzume and Soda then snap back to reality and decide to go their separate ways until their paths cross again in the near film credits, leaving us with the parting lesson that when one door closes, make sure that shit stays shut. So here's here's what I think the film is missing and maybe why it's confusing or why it doesn't resonate with certain individuals. I think it's missing lore around the core theme of the movie, not theme, but the core plot of the movie around the worms and the doors and the closers. It just kind of felt like things existed and happened without any explanation to get us, the viewers, behind it and to get motivated. We just kind of had to accept that there are these things called worms and there just happens to be these doors in abandoned areas and there's this group of people called closers. Like I thought at one point... Um, either Sota would explain to Suzume like the lore behind it and the story, especially when he showed her that book, I think, when they were in his apartment about like the ancient history of all of this. Mm -hmm. Or when he said, my family is a long line of closers. 
or even when she went to see his grandpa in the hospital. Like somebody, please explain what is the lore here? And I think because the movie is missing that, it kind of feels like stuff just happens. And that's all I can really say about that. Like it's entertaining stuff that happens, but it just feels like stuff is happening. Yeah, I saw a quote, I think this was from Variety, that described this film as a a feel-good disaster movie. <laughs> uh, but I agree. I think that the lore about the gates, the closers, the ever after, the keystone, and then with the worm was just very surface level. And I think another thing that maybe detracted me from enjoying this movie as much as I wanted to is that with those things, it was so heavy on metaphors and I had to kind of read like behind the scenes information about what inspired Makoto Shinkai to make this film and I think his main inspiration was from the 2011 earthquake that happened in Japan and the sort of feelings and emotions that he and the rest of the country had gone through in sort of processing that disaster and in that way I kind of see how like the doors are almost like ways to acknowledge the past and to reconcile with the past and to move on but like I said with it being so metaphorical in the movie it, it, it's hard to kind of latch onto to that theme or that concept yeah I completely agree so I think sometimes especially with Japanese movies that I've noticed and maybe we're just too spoiled in the west and we get spoon-fed a lot of stuff I don't know but I feel like oftentimes we come across these movies where they the director or the creator is expecting us to just kind of get it without being handheld or spoon-fed or having it clearly explained to us like you have to find the deeper themes and then understand the the story behind the story behind the the story that you're seeing um you know, just by context clues and whatnot. And I get that. And and there may be some people out there who say, oh, well, you just can't appreciate this movie because you can't pick up on those themes. I feel like there's a limit. I can fully appreciate a movie that doesn't spoon feed me things and, and where I can walk away saying, okay, I think I understand what the director, what the creator is trying to tell me through those context clues or through those metaphors. But when you get so far that way, where it's almost like we're going to literally tell you nothing and you just have to figure it all out, like that's where you hit the limit. And I'm like, I need at least some time spent in this movie with you explaining some shit to me. Like, am I supposed to look at like the 30 second clip of Sota showing Suzume that book or whatever that shows the lore behind the worms and the doors and the closers, mostly in picture form, and then just suddenly be able to say, oh, of course, he's trying to tell us that the worms mean this and the doors mean mm -hmm. this and the closers mean this like no that's simply not enough like i need i need the director or the creator to meet me halfway give me at least some context around this lore so that i can fill in the gaps from there i don't need to have the entire lore you know handheld through or spoon fed to me that's fine but at least meet me halfway i feel like we might have had this conversation before when reviewing one of the ghibli movies yeah is that like maybe it's just our western perception of how stories should be told through these kinds of media that makes us a bit uncomfortable in the way we're viewing this film because like like you said there's a lot that we f can't fully grasp with Susan May's story and you know another thing that I had to think about too is like with the character Susan May is this supposed to also serve as a coming of age story for her uh, especially when 
I think you look at the natural disasters that are happening in this movie, comparing it to how adolescence is also kind of like a, a rough time in a person's life and taking all of that experience and trying to figure out what you want to do moving forward. Um, and I think that's kind of symbolized to at the end of the movie where she's talking to herself, her younger self, who is so afraid and unsure of what her future is going to be with all of these, like with that disaster in her town happening in her life and what this could mean moving forward for her. But then Susan May comforts her younger self. Um, so I, I don't know if that's also a theme that this movie was trying to emphasize on. But again, I feel like there are just so many different puzzle pieces and then trying to put them together, you realize it's almost like they're all from a different puzzle. Yeah, I, I would say so to answer or try to answer the initial question, what was the point of this movie or what was it trying to establish? I would say, um, just based on my watch, that the I would agree that it's a coming of age story. And there's a parallel between what Suzume is experiencing in her own life and like the trauma of losing her mother with the worms and the doors and the closers where kind of like how you said like the doors tie the future sorry, sorry tie the present to the past so we don't forget the things that have happened to us in the past mm -hmm. the worms are the negative emotions that come out of that although i don't know why worms in the neck with negative emotions are living in the ever after where people's souls are living and it's supposed to be this beautiful place that i don't understand yeah um but it's like when you open the door to the past you're letting out all of this negative emotion all this trauma but you need to, so now this is where I get confused, right? Because a lot of times the theme is like, you need to face the worm head on. You need to face the negative emotions head on and overcome them. But here it's like this, the story is telling us you need to keep the door closed. You need to keep mm -hmm. all of your negative emotions bottled up and don't address them. That's the vibe I got from it. And that's why I'm confused. Um, and then the closers, I'm like, what is the point of the closers? Are they people who are trying to help you through that trauma? Is that your support? system and if so why are they trying to shut the door to your trauma instead of you facing that trauma and finding a way to overcome it you know what i mean like they weren't attacking mm -hmm. the worms they were trying to push them back into the door push them back into the past suppress those feelings is what i got well there's that i guess incantation that sota recites right before they close the door which is i think in that case it's not like they're shutting off these emotions or like they're they're not going to acknowledge these emotions because that's what he's doing there. He's like, we know that this place had these experiences and we wish to honor those experiences, honor the dead and move on and kind of carry the, their legacy. And then that's what actually shut. That's what causes the door to shut. So it's not like you're closing off this experience and forgetting about it. You know what I mean? Okay. That makes more sense. Um, I just, it was just so confusing to me that like, I don't know, just felt like we were trying to like hide away from it, like keep it all locked away. <laughs> Cause it's literally, I mean, I think the Japanese title of the movie is like Suzume's door locking. Mm -hmm. Like she's locking away all of this trauma <laughs> and not wanting to address it. Um, but no, that, that, I think that that's a better way to, to explain what's going on here. I, I also think that there's like a big gap in like what the point of the keystones are. Like what, what is the cat's point? Yeah. Like what? And also, Sadaijin coming out of nowhere. I was like, wait, what is Sadaijin? Why is it here? And is it possessing the ant to say all these really mean things? Like, where did it come from? I know it's supposed mm -hmm. to be the other keystone, right? But like, why and where? Like, <laughs> just like, what's going on? Yeah, I didn't really understand their purpose. I know, like, they're supposed to be the keystones that keep the, the gates at bay. 
and are supposed to prevent like the worm from creating another disaster but i just didn't understand like why daijin whatever like why that deity felt so hot and cold as if it was sort of playing devil's advocate yeah it was very mischievous Mm -hmm. like i couldn't tell if it was friend or foe i'm like what is this thing and then as soon as suzume tells daijin like i I hate you that's where it like shuts down because real i don't like i didn't get it it's just like like is it supposed to be similar to like loki i'm not talking about the marvel uh, character loki but the norse god loki was like the god of mischief who's just there to make people fuck around and find out. But then it, it just gets disappointed when someone doesn't want to play with them anymore. Is that the point? But I was trying to connect that to the broader story about the doors and, and trying to close them. But I, I I didn't understand the cat. I know. I, I'm like, try, if I were to try to put my finger on it, like maybe Daijin was there to entice Suzume to really step forward and like be like a closer basically without officially being a closer like trying to push mm. her to take on this really important task by saying like I'm gonna go open a bunch of doors and basically kill a bunch of people in Japan unless you Suzume do something about it because now I've turned your friend into a chair um I also think maybe the other point is to show that Sota is a very selfless person because at the end of the movie he like basically sacrifices himself or accepts his fate to become the new keystone even if it means not being in the real world anymore and and sacrificing the life he could have lived um but even then it's like there could have been many other ways to go about doing those things without having a very gray area type of character or this cat or whatever yeah and kind of speaking of Sota I I don't know if you got this vibe. I just felt like he was a little bit underdeveloped. Oh, 100%. Again, missing lore. Like Lore can also include, at least in this context, I'm trying to explain it as like backstory. I feel like we knew nothing about Sota. Like we found Mm -hmm. out that he's a college student and he's wanting to become a teacher, but he also is a closer. But I'm also like, I don't understand the closers. Like get me motivated behind this character. Tell me more about the closers. The the thing here is the worms and the doors and the closers. I found all of that really fucking interesting. I was super excited to learn more. I'm like, this is mm. a really cool concept. It's really interesting that Suzume happens to see all of this, but nobody else. And also why was Suzume able to see it, but nobody else? They didn't explain that. Um and so Sota, by extension of that, was a really interesting character to me or potentially an interesting character because he's a closer, because he's been doing this for years and years and years. How does he balance being a closer and also being a regular person? But we we got none of that. Like, there just there wasn't any, like you said, development around his character, even though I wanted to really like him. Right. Like, we're just, I don't, I don't want to say forced, but all we're left to acknowledge is just that he has these honorable traits and working as a closer but i think the other thing is that i don't feel like he's known suzume long enough at least in this story for them to have such a strong relationship so i don't even know how like this took place over the course of a couple days right Um, yeah and i guess you know both of them faced enormous trials with each other and closing all of these doors across the country but it just felt weird to me that someone who just suddenly stepped into your life um is suddenly the most important person to you in that moment 
Uh, I completely agree. I, so let's really quick to touch on the romance of this because, you mm-hmm. know, we, we both love romance in anime and a lot of Makoto Shinkai's works are rooted in like a romance. They have a romantic subtext to them. I wanted to get into the romance of this anime, but it felt kind of forced because like you said, they only knew each other for a few days to maybe like a week at most, at most. Um, and the whole time, Sota was a fucking kitty chair. So there wasn't like any romantic development. And it was kind of awkward when Suzume like kissed the chair. <laughs> I'm like, I hope that's his face and not his ass. Or like she sat on the chair. That was one weird. Point, yeah. Right? <laughs> and then it shows him in like the alternate reality where he's sitting on the chair. Like I think that's what we're supposed to envision him as in in his metaphorical state as the chair. So yeah, it's like she's sitting on his lap. Yeah. And and it's weird to me because he felt more like an older brother figure than a romantic partner. Yes. And so that's what I was kind of hoping for in this movie, like less of the romantic dynamic. Uh, I know I, I, I love that in Your Name and I love that in Weathering With You, but it like the way that they established Suzume at the beginning... It just felt like this was going to be different. Like she she's just... very childlike, not child, like not childish, but you can tell like she is a young high school student, mm-hmm. and Sota's personality is extremely mature. Like he yeah. he feels like a full on adult. I when they said he was in college, I was like, no way, I would have pinned him at like thirty. Yeah, and like regardless, like there is that age gap between them, and I think I was reading somewhere that Makoto Shinkai had decided to make the secondary protagonist like a chair because he wanted to emphasize the romance less in this film. And I too was like, I was hoping more for Sota to give off more of an older brother vibe, but it just felt like the movie didn't know exactly where to place their relationship together. Like, is it romantic? Is it more of a brother sister dynamic? It was, it was just very confusing. Yeah. I, again, I'm always one for romance and I try my hardest to root for the romance. But yeah, this one this one felt like it was lacking a bit of romantic chemistry. So while I can accept it, I was just kind of like, okay. And even at the end, like there wasn't really like a romantic moment. He just shows up at the town again, which is nice. It's a nice way to kind of close things out. But mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe it signals that, you know, Suzume is a little bit more mature now for them to start an official relationship. Uh, I don't know, like maybe there's only a couple years of difference in, in their ages, but just the the personalities are just so different that I'm like, I don't know, he feels like, like a mentor versus a, a boyfriend. Right. Now, I know we've been kind of focusing on the negative aspects or some of our gripes of the movie or some points of confusion. So I just want to share one more thing that, that did leave me a bit you know, on the fence about this, because there are some highlights I do want to talk about with this movie. Um, but I, I also felt like everyone in this movie, in terms of like the people that they were coming across in their travels, was so trusting of Suzume. And Suzume was so trusting of these random people. Like all of these people take in Suzume and her chair and they help her. And then at the end, even her aunt is like, fuck it, I'll go along with whatever the hell you're doing. Even though the whole time the aunt was trying to be the reasonable one and like make sure she wasn't running away or doing something stupid. So I, I felt like there was just too much trust placed um, in these these travels and in these people that she came across where it felt too unrealistic. Maybe that's just because the day and age we're in. <laughs> Maybe because we're not in Japan where there's like less scary things going on. Um, but I just felt like, man, I don't know. A high school girl like running away and just like sh- like shacking up with these random people. Who knows what could happen? 
Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's a, a common thing in Japanese society uh, for, or to have like all of these runaways. And that's what this film is establishing, like creating connections with those runaways to, to understand where they're coming from. Uh, but my issue with these characters is that they, they were kind of rushed over. And I think that kind of made the pacing of the movie disjointed. Uh, just to comment on Suzume's aunt, uh, Tamaki, I feel like she was severely underused, even though like she's constantly pursuing Suzume throughout the movie. And then when she catches up to Suzume, she has that sudden outburst of like, I, I can't believe I've been taking care of you this whole time instead of me getting to live my life freely. And then like that, that's an interesting thing. But then they just gloss over that in the next scene and say, oh, I'm sorry, I, I said all of those things. I, like we're supposed to accept that. I completely agree. I think that the ant dynamic would have been so good. Like, I would say get rid of some of the other travelers that she comes across. Because I think the first one, the, the high school girl with the oranges, I think her... Chica. Yes. <laughs> uh, I think her purpose is to help kind of set the, the stage for the romance. Because she talks about, like, having a boyfriend and, like kissing people or whatever like they have like their little girl talk and i think that's kind of helping susan may to kind of think in that romantic sense fine but the other people i don't know quite like what their point was or what they taught susan may um but with the aunt i think it's i agree i think it's so interesting that they have this dynamic where like they love each other but susan may is acting out and the aunt is so stressed and worried and confused that she had like she just snaps at her like they snap at each other and that is such mm -hmm. a real thing people do that like families do that and i wanted them to explore that more but to your point that it was just so underdeveloped that i was confused when she snapped at her i was like wait why is she just suddenly snapping and saying all these things she almost right. seemed possessed and then she passes out don't know why she passed out and then Sadaijin is behind her. So at first I thought, oh, maybe Sadaijin is an evil spirit that came out of the door. And, and Sadaijin possessed the ant to suddenly say these things. And now Sadaijin like left her body. And so she passed out. No, none of that was the case. Sadaijin was the mm -hmm. other keystone who suddenly showed up for no reason and is on their journey with them. And apparently the ant said that of her own volition. I was just so confused because there wasn't any like, like I said, development leading up to that point. Yeah, now I'm just questioning, why is Sadaijin there? I don't know. <laughs> I think Sadaijin's there because he's like, can you guys stop fucking around and put these worms back in the door? Because remember he said, put things back the way they were. Yeah, but th that would have meant someone removed Sadaijin's keystone, wouldn't it have? I think he came on his own. He was probably like, stop <laughs> fucking around. We need a keystone on this end of, of Japan. Put things back the way they were. Get a keystone in place. <laughs> I think I that's that was the point of it, but it just kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah, uh, you know, like, thank you for the explanation, but I'm still <laughs> more confused <laughs> about what that all was. Uh, but going back to, like, the characters and, like, just the pacing of the film, the ones that they introduce, which is Chika, the, the rural student, and then Rumi, who is the single mother and uh, hostess at that bar. The way I looked at it is, like, they're just there to serve as exposition for the doors and their connection to abandoned or demolished areas of japan and in that sense it felt like the first half of this film could have been almost like an episode of the week if susume had like a tv format but to then just throw these random characters into the first half of the story and then go right away to to tokyo it just threw the pacing off a little bit for me like it, it threw the pacing 
Or made the pacing a little out of whack, I guess. I would also loop um, Sota's college friend into that group of like travelers they come across who help them on their journey. Because I'm like, okay, the friend is here, but he's like literally parked. <laughs> he's parked on the side of the street in Tokyo. And then suddenly mm-hmm. he's like, he gets commandeered by Suzume and her aunt to go on this journey. He doesn't have any clothes. He doesn't have anything. Does he, have, like, he probably has like his wallet and his cell phone on him. Mm-hmm. He's just going to leave whatever he was doing. Like, what if he has school tomorrow? Like, what if he had an appointment or something? Like, he just drops everything and drives them seven hours to some random town. And then his car yeah. breaks out. Like, it was just too much trust, right? It was like placed on these characters where they were like, fuck it, just join us or whatever. Like, the, the mom with her two kids picks up a hitchhiker on the side of the road. Like, granted, she's a high school student, but it's almost like, I don't know, it just seems weird. Like, I don't know who you are, but jump in the car with my two children and it's just me here if anything goes wrong. And then also stay in my house as long as you babysit my kids, even though I just met you and I don't know if you're a, a, a good person to do that. You know what I mean? Like it just mm-hmm. it just felt too... It was asking me to, to suspend my disbelief a little bit too much without giving me something in return. Yeah. Maybe it's just because we know, rea- <laughs> we know reality or we have realistic expectations of what might happen in these situations. Although we live here in the States and that could be completely different from yeah. <laughs> from how people would react to a hitchhiker in Japan. Um, but yeah, I, I can see where it's like, not everyone will seems to like, it doesn't seem like everyone would be this welcoming to a hitchhiker. And also on Suzume's end, Sota can't help her. He's a chair. Like, I guess he's a chair who can jump like 500 feet into the air. Um, but, you know, like, I don't know. She just, well, maybe maybe that is realistic for her because she's a high school student. So she thinks like I'm going on this grand adventure. I don't know. Either yeah. way, it, it is what it is. I still enjoyed the adventures they went on. So let's, let's transition to some <laughs> highlights. Well, last thing I'll say about oh, okay. characters is the grandpa. I feel like what they could have. What an asshole. <laughs> you know, yeah, that, but. I felt like he didn't need to be in the story. 100%. I, I, could, I totally agree. Yeah. He was just there to tell Suzume, go to that first door you ever went through. Yeah. That was 100% that was his point, <laughs> yeah. which again is a missed opportunity because he could have been the one to explain the lore to her. Right. right? She's on this adventure. Sota doesn't have time, let's say, to explain anything to her because he's a fucking chair and he just wants to turn back into a human. And maybe she's a bit confused. Like she's doing these things, but doesn't understand why they're being done. And then she comes across the grandpa, for example, and he's like, here's the whole story behind it and places the emphasis and the importance on what Sota is spending his life doing. That would have been great, but that didn't happen. He was just an Mm -hmm. asshole the whole time. (laughs) And then we don't even know what happens to him. I don't know. Maybe he dies. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) So on the positive aspect of things, because again, I did really enjoy the movie despite having these gripes. Um, I love that Suzume was put in a position where she didn't have help. She had Sota there, right? But he's a fucking chair and there's only so much that he can do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So she really is a character who is thrown into the situation, has the opportunity to back out, has the opportunity to not get involved, but chooses to do so anyway because she feels a bigger calling. And then on top of that, she has a mentor sort of in Sota, but because he's a chair, she has to do almost everything 
herself. Mm -hmm. And I love that. Like that shows us how strong of a character she is, how driven of a character she is. I still not quite sure why she's able to see the worms and nobody else. Maybe because she's got some like trauma or no, maybe because she was in the ever after back in the day. But even then, mm -hmm. why was she able to go to the ever after and nobody else? Like what is her connection? What makes her special where she's able to do all these things that other people can't do? I think we're missing that as well. But still, it was just that her town coincidentally had a door. A, a door that led to the ever after. So you're telling me like some random person who comes across a door could open it and, and then suddenly be able to see everything? Yeah, I, I'm sure there would have been another case somewhere in Japan where someone sees the door and then they could have played out Suzume's story. Yeah, that's true. Um, but even, even still, she's still a fun character. I really enjoyed watching her. She was not annoying to me in the slightest, mm-hmm. besides some of the weird choices that she made. Um, and I just find the dynamic between her and her aunt, like I said before, so brutally honest, so brutally realistic um, that I wish they had had more time spent with each other. Like I wanted to see more of that. Um, so, yeah, I appreciated that Makoto Shinkai didn't have this character who had handholding the whole time. She had something there to tell her what to do. And he did the best that he could within his limitations. But a lot of responsibility was placed on her very, very quickly. And she didn't let that stop her. She didn't let that scare her, even if she was confused, even if she was worried. She saw a bigger calling. She saw an opportunity to help people and to save people. And she went right for it. And I found that really refreshing. Yeah, I guess if you look at the coming of age aspect of this story, that's such a positive message to convey to the audience is that especially for like a younger demographic who can identify with Suzume, learning how to be autonomous and to take things head on without having any doubt in yourself. Uh, I, I think that's those are virtues that are, like you said, very well expressed in Suzume's story. And not only that, but she doesn't ever come crying back to her aunt. In fact, she runs away from her aunt most of the movie. So it shows her level of independence and her her maturity, even if her personality doesn't seem mature, her decision-making mm-hmm. is decently mature, um, where she's like, no, I know this is what I need to do. Only I can make this difference. Only I can stop these worms from crushing all of these people in, you know, on the streets below. So I need to do this. Like She never really hesitated. She never really self-doubted. Um, and again, she never went like crying back to her aunt or whatever. They had a nice reunion and her aunt was able to support her towards the end of the film, but she never relied on her aunt. Um, and I think a lot of that stems from the fact that she lost her mother very early on and then, you know, maybe needed to feel a little more independent. I think connected to that, one of the things that I did enjoy about this movie was the ending where... Susan May sees the younger version of herself in the ever after. I know it almost felt a little too Hollywood. As as I alluded to in my synopsis, it, it reminded me of a scene in Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. And I know this might be a point of contention for JoJo fans, but <laughs> this could also be a JoJo reference in part four with Josuke's childhood. Oh, shit, yeah. Even though, you know, I, I, I think people have <laughs> certain... JoJo fans, or maybe a lot of JoJo fans, don't agree with that canon. Uh, But just the idea of her comforting her younger self, just telling her that everything will be okay and that you will grow up to be a strong person. I think that's something that a lot of us have envisioned is just telling our younger selves that, 
you know, you have a great future ahead of you and just to take every challenge head on. Like in this case, I loved the metaphor, like just knowing, like acknowledging what happened in your past, whether it be positive or negative, but knowing that you've grown positively out of it or you've, you've changed out of it. Um, it was also just a, a great message to take away from this movie. I completely, completely agree. I loved that plot twist where it was not her mother that she came across yeah. as a child, that it was her future self. I think that's fantastic because to kind of echo what you're saying, it shows that you cannot change the past. And even as a child, you know, she's placed in this really horrible situation where her mother is gone, but she, you know, encourages her to accept that and find strength wherever she can to move forward knowing that her mother will, will always love her i loved that so much like it's just so again real and honest saying nothing will ever change your mother is gone unfortunately and and that's that's the reality you're faced with but you can do this i i, I can prove that to you because i'm alive still like I, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm flourishing it's fine um it sucks but you know you, you'll be able to get through it uh and it also keeps the lore of the ever after intact because i think sota said that the humans can't access the ever after or if they do like they can't really do much there so that makes sense like i would feel i would feel confused if young suzume was able to make contact with her mom when sota said like you can't make contact with people in the ever after mm -hmm. the only i think the only difference here is that Suzume was able to make contact with Sota because he was the keystone, just like how she was able to make contact with Daijin as the keystone in the beginning of the movie. I could see mm -hmm. that being like the caveat there. So I was like, I, I was waiting for that figure at the end of the, the film to be the mother and then kind of be confused. Like, well, I guess Suzume is an, an exception to the rule. But no, they, they kept that, that solid and they made it so that it was just her future self. Now, I think that also opens the idea that there's this giant time loop that's going to happen. Well, it's, it's going to repeat itself. Sota, some character mentions, maybe it was Sota or his grandpa mentions that time is sort of infinite. It's like all time in one place. Yeah. Uh, so it allows for this moment to happen. Because at the beginning of the movie, I, I too thought that Suzume would find her mother in the ever after. And for some reason, I thought like her mother would have been Daijin <laughs> or <fuck>? like <laughs> the other Keystone, which didn't turn out to be the case. But in in this case, I, I was just satisfied that, yeah, it's Suzume who, in a sense, just becomes the hero of her own story. Yeah, I I think that was solid. Um, and it also kind of makes me now I'm thinking out loud. It also makes me wonder. So with Daijin, going back to the idea of like, what's up with? the cat um the grandpa obviously knew daijin and said oh you know your time was up as the keystone because i think it's like one keystone is a keystone for a long time and then it can pass that on to somebody else to be the keystone i'm like why is it a cat and why is it a childish cat I i'm thinking like did somebody turn a kid into a cat oh. and then make that cat the keystone kind of like how the cat turned Sota into a chair and then made the chair yeah. the keystone. Like he which is kind of fucked up if you think about it. <laughs> like Daijin wanted someone else to take up the mantle. Yeah, because he's like, fuck it, I I'm free now. I don't want to mm -hmm. be the keystone anymore. But, but then he had a change of heart seeing how much Suzume wanted Sota back. But who is that keystone? Because we're, right. not, we're not introduced to any supernatural creatures except the worm. 
So Daijin and Sadaijin are the only, right? They're the only supernatural creatures besides the worm in this entire movie. Mm-hmm. Where the fuck did they come from? If they were keystones that were made in, sorry, if they were made into keystones, let's say in the grandpa's era or whatever of closers, what was the cat beforehand? Or where did the cat come from? Like, is there like another parallel universe where the cat came from? Like, I'm just, that that I'm missing some puzzle pieces too. My only thought can be that somebody turned this, a little kid into yeah. a cat and then forced that kid to be the keystone for many, many years, which is kind of fucked up if that's the case. Because yeah, then, because I know Daijin ends up being the keystone again at the end. Yeah. Right? Uh, but think of it that way. It's like, well, I would want that kid to live freely if he didn't want to be keystone. I know. The keystone anymore. <laughs> But yeah, honestly, just, make the grandpa a keystone. Then he gets to live forever, and he's already about to die anyway. <laughs> yeah, that that's a good point. Uh, this is a stupid thing, but one other thing that I loved about the movie, and I think I mentioned this in one of my like the one of my guilty pleasures in anime, is the branding. But it was real branding. Yeah, product placement everywhere. Yeah, as we alluded to or we mentioned earlier. Uh, JR Rail is prevalent throughout the film. Uh, some other brands I saw, Twitter, Instagram, they were heavily used because of the social media tr- craze that was surrounding Daijin. And even McDonald's, which I think in Weathering With You, one of the main characters had also worked at a McDonald's. I think so, yeah. So, I don't know, maybe <laughs> was there a Happy Meal promotion in Japan uh, that was that or that collaborated with uh, Suzume. Uh, I guess it, it kind of it roots everything in the real world better than seeing like McDonald's be called McRonald's. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it just makes me think like, did all of these companies also want like a piece of the Makoto Shinkai pie? I'm sure they did. I'm sure it, it probably made them a ton of money. Um, although if there was some sort of Susan May collab with McDonald's, we would have seen it while we were there because we definitely had McDonald's while we oh, were in yeah, Japan <laughs> when the movie was coming out. <laughs> should have made a point to look for that at that McDonald's. I know I've talked a little bit already about how I found the movie, despite all the gripes, purely entertaining and fun. I think that's just because it's such a grand adventure without being a grand adventure. To your earlier point, it's very rooted in reality because it's literally just present day Japan they just go to Tokyo by the end of it but the way that Makoto Shinkai I guess delivers this adventure just feels so fun so grand like I love the the dynamic shift of like Suzume and Sota thinking very positively on their journey they're just trying to find the fucking cat turn him back into a human and then in the distance you see this eerie freakish worm and only the two of them can see it and they have to stop everything that they're doing and run over to that and try first of all try to figure out where it's coming from and second of all like try to stop it from escaping the door there was just something about the way that it was done um that felt so so big and so like the stakes were so heavy but at the same time it also it also felt like a small adventure because they were just traveling throughout japan and they were just going to these small towns they were meeting up with these people who didn't live you know, lavish lives. They were just regular old people who, for some reason, took them in without asking any questions. Um, and they were able to just like get by. They were able to get by enough to make their journey work. So I love this blend of like very small aspects 
um, of getting from point A to point B to these like grand spectacles, especially when they get to Tokyo and the worm escapes out of like the train area. I thought it was so, again, like realistic that they wouldn't be able to make it in time to the worm because it's fucking Tokyo. There's traffic. It's a maze. Like there's no way they would be able to get from wherever they were to where the worm was coming out of in enough time. So the fact that the worm actually came out and was hovering over the sky, I'm like, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. There's there's too much going on in Tokyo to make it that easy for them to get to the door before the worm escapes. I feel like you could have been describing JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. With, <laughs> but I was going to say plain characters. There are no plain characters in JoJo, uh, but they can witness all these supernatural things. In JoJo, it's, it stands, of course, but here uh, with Suzume and Soda, it's the, the worm. Uh, but yeah, it's just kind of funny thinking like these are just regular people who are sent in to mitigate these larger larger than life natural disasters. And the key thing here, key, no pun intended, is that as you're saying, they are regular people. There's no like spells that they're casting besides the the incantation they say when they're trying to close the door. There's no magic powers or abilities or weapons or any of that. There's no like big battles. It's literally just people trying to close these doors before these worms come out and smush everybody. Yeah. <laughs> what did you think about the way that Makoto Shinkai made the worms cause earthquakes? I thought that was interesting because earthquakes are a very common thing in Japan. Um, it's a very real danger that they face. Uh, but to say that the worms are what caused the earthquakes, I'm like, that's kind of it's kind of interesting. I don't know. What did you think about it? I don't know. I just thought it was another like metaphor, kind of heavy thing to include in the movie. Um, I didn't know exactly what it was Im- <laughs> implying. Uh, maybe just I'm, it's too big brain for me. Because when we saying earlier, like worms are supposed to represent like the negative emotions. Of, yeah. Um, like a, a certain place or location yeah so why would those negative emotions crush society <laughs> yeah i just i thought like you know for like what could have the what could the worms have done otherwise right like if no one else can see them if no one else knows that they exist what other threat could they uh could they um present to society because right like the the idea is like the worms can cause damage on a grand scale people's lives are at stake here but with these worms being giant things in the sky that no one can see, what other logical um, thing or threat could the worms pose that would make sense? I think earthquakes actually did tie in pretty nicely. Even if there wasn't like a specific meaning behind the earthquakes, that that being the threat for the worms, I thought was pretty pretty good. I'm just trying to think this through now. Um with the worms kind of representing negative emotions, is it that these worms are ready to create another disaster because like people, I don't know, like people weren't fully acknowledging what had happened in the past or like they didn't fully reconcile with like these disasters in the past. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I'm not even thinking about it on like a metaphoric scale, like or level, like what what it's supposed to represent. I'm just purely thinking like that kind of makes that's a kind of cool decision that mm. the worms create earthquakes. Like, what else could they do? Like poison gas throughout the town? Yeah. Like that would be very random, and people would raise some eyebrows. Like, why is there suddenly a bunch of poison gas killing people? But mm-hmm. earthquakes, like people would say, oh, it's just a natural disaster. It happens here in Japan. 
not knowing that it's caused by this worm that they can't see. So I'm basically just saying of all the things that Makoto Shinkai could have picked for these worms to do or the way they could affect the towns, I'm like, earthquakes are, that's a pretty good choice. Okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to find meaning in everything. I know, yeah. (laughs) It's probably probably to my detriment. Maybe it's like if we don't learn from our past mistakes, we'll just continue to repeat them. Right. Okay, that's what I was trying to... That was what I was trying to express. But also, like, the past mistakes are natural disasters. I can't... People don't have control over that. Yeah, or maybe it's just the way that, like, people maybe just dismiss the natural disaster, like some people do. Yeah, because they, like, abandon the towns and never tried to rebuild them. Right. And so this worm is trying to make them, like, morbidly see reality, like, this could happen to you uh, unless you... (laughs) <laughs> like try to do something preventative which well, yeah. i know like it's hard with like natural disasters like what can you do to prevent them but maybe makoto shinkai if the 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 earthquakes that happened in japan the actual earthquakes maybe he felt unsatisfied with the efforts that the japanese people made or mm-hmm. the acknowledgement that the japanese people gave to those disasters although i feel like they they were pretty well acknowledged I don't know. I'm just talking out of my ass here, just trying to figure out something. <laughs> so maybe that's the message here: is like we should not overlook these things. You know, to your point, we shouldn't overlook these things. Um, you know, this happened, and we need to help the people that were impacted. I think it would be remiss for us to not mention the animation in this film, but <laughs> I, I can't. I don't know what else to say, but besides that, I can't fault the movie on its animation. Uh, it's still breathtaking. It's still vibrant. A vibrant outing as usual for Makoto Shinkai. The way that the characters are designed, the way that they move, the environments, all of it. I guess that with with all the previous works that we've seen of Makoto Shinkai, uh, there was nothing that felt out of place here in the visual aspects of this film. Even the chair, the chairs, I know it seems like it was CGI animated, it didn't look that bad. It Something about seeing Sota as the chair, it blended in well with the rest of the scenes. I agree. And this is coming from someone who is very vocal about my dislike for CG and anime. Um, I saw some reviews, some like, uh, not like official reviews, but people's thoughts, um, regular weeb thoughts on the movie. And there were some people who said like the CG was too much and it was just like it was distracting kind of disappointing that he went the cg route i i agree i think i agree with you not them um that the cg was pretty damn good <laughs> like i'm hesitant to <laughs> say CG that because i was good because i hate cg and anime but it was yeah it wasn't bad at all it was not distracting to me i could i noticed it for sure but it was not like uh removing me from my immersion it was blending well it um, was done well where I was like, that's fine. Like, I, I know it's here, but it's not bothering me. I think it's just the the worm CGI animation that didn't look as clean. And it kind of reminded me of the meat train from the Demon, Demon Slayer. Slayer. <laughs> but it wasn't enough to make me think like, oh, this looks terrible. Uh, but yeah, just, you know, CG can't always be perfect, I guess. Yeah, and the rest of the animation was really nice. It had the Makoto Shinkai look to it, like the lens flares and, and all that stuff, like uh, the the shots of the sky and whatnot. So it was, it felt like, you know, truly one of his works. It looked beautiful. 
Um, and even the high intensity scenes just like looked seamless. I thought it was just visually very, very nice. And I think the last staple of any Makoto Shinkai film that we have to acknowledge is, of course, the music. Um, and I think with, as with his two previous works, the Japanese music group Rad Wimps was on board again for Suzume to compose the music for this film alongside Kazuna Jinochi. Uh, fun fact, I think Rad Wimps had recently completed a U.S. tour that included Chicago. But unfortunately, we couldn't attend that uh, because I think it was around the time that our baby was due. Yeah, um, I'm sure they played music from this. I, the music from Your Name, though, is like the best, I think, of the Makoto Shinkai films where Rad Wimps is, you know, playing the music. I think that Your Name is the best. Yeah, although I like the track from Weathering With You as well. What was it? Uh, so Your Name, I think the main tra- track was Sparkle. And then Weathering With You was, is there still anything that love can do? Both great tracks, though. Uh, for this film, you have Kanata Haluka, which I don't think is like an actual Japanese phrase because um, I didn't see any translation of it um, on the internet. Um, as with those two songs with, that I just mentioned, it, it's all about searching for the meaning of love, finding it in the person that they were meant to be with. Uh, with this one... I don't think it, it felt as impactful or as powerful as Sparkle or Is There Still Anything Love Can Do. Maybe it's just in the simpler composition. Uh, and maybe it's because they didn't really play this song during like a cheesy running moment during the film. <laughs> like you see with Sparkle or Is There Anything There Is There Still Anything That Love Can Do. Uh, but I thought this song was just decent. It's the one that plays over the credits. So I don't know if you had any thoughts about it at all. You know me. Unless the music really resonates with me, I don't notice it. Um, but the whatever the track was where like the girl was singing. Yes. That was nice. So that was... <laughs> so that <laughs> That's track. the best way I can describe it. <laughs> and moving on to that track that is actually titled Suzume by Radwimps featuring Toaka. T-O-A-K-A, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, uh, who actually is a singer of TikTok fame. So kind of cool that they, they brought someone on board from from that. It's like a platform. Justin Bieber moment. Didn't he right. get a start on YouTube? Was it you? Yeah, it was YouTube. So a similar case here with this singer who obviously does the do-do-do-do-do-do, um, that opening sort of, what would you call it? Humming, humming or chant or whatever. Uh, like... This song, too, is one about love, but with almost like a touch of melancholy and almost like a mystical or folkloric quality to the song, which kind of makes sense because it it almost alludes to the supernatural symbolism with the keystones and the doors and, you know, just the instruments that are used to convey this point. It sounds like they're using harps, like these ethnic instruments, probably from Japanese folk music and then like this choral backup to the main singer, I found this to be a more powerful musical theme compared to the the ending credit song. Yeah, I agree. That solo part with the girl singing or whatever, it's, it, it's just, it sticks with you. Again, why mm-hmm. I recognize it is because it's stuck with me. Um, it just, it sounds really pretty and it pairs so nicely with 
almost like the mystery behind the worms and the doors. Like it just has this mystical, mysterious feel to it. And that's kind of what I got. Now, seeing the Suzume um, trailers and hearing that music and seeing the visuals they showed us, I thought this was going to be a way more serious movie. I didn't mm. think there was going to be all of this, like these comedic elements and all these like fun adventure pieces. I thought it was going to be like a super serious, <laughs> very emotional movie. And that was like not the case at all. Um, it was it was decently like fun and entertaining and wild. And yeah, I would not have expected that just based on what I was seeing in the trailers. Yeah, same here. And now that now that humming sequence is going to be stuck in my head for the rest <laughs> of the week. And so that brings us to our final thoughts for Suzume. So how many it's going to be Suzume's out of 10 would you give this film? Maybe people aren't expecting me to give this movie the score I'm about to because of the things that I've said. But let me explain. I would give it an 8 out of 10, but no higher. It was... Mm definitely entertaining it was definitely a good watch i felt satisfied by the end of it i had fun watching it um, but i cannot give it any higher than an eight because i have no clue why anything was happening because there was little to no lore established and sometimes that's okay it's okay for things to not always be explained in anime or in any media um but usually those things are like minor ish plot points where the lack of explanation doesn't hinder you from understanding the core themes and morals of the story but here the story is literally about the doors and the worms and i don't know why or what they are i have my suspicions but i don't feel confident in my theories just because i feel like i'm pulling them out of my ass versus like taking very clear context clues or Again, the creator meeting me halfway and giving me a decent amount of information where I can then draw a conclusion on my own that I feel pretty solid about. So that's why I wouldn't go any higher than eight. But there's so much that the movie has to offer. And um, I think anybody can enjoy it, even if you don't quite know what's going on. Like, I still think that it's a fun film. It's a beautiful film. It is a high energy, um, but still very... Uh, thematic film overall and it was nice to have a major anime film that isn't just a bunch of cry porn or you know where somebody dies or is like super heavy on like a romance or whatever it was just an adventure that they went on so if you think about a lot of the movies that we've seen lately um, or even other Makoto, Makoto Shinkai films they're so emotional they're so incredibly emotional, and that can be good or bad. Uh, I think in certain cases, weathering with you is a bad situation, and with your name, it was a good situation. But here, it focuses so much on just the more like fun aspects and the adventure aspects and the growing of of Suzume, um, where it didn't feel like it was trying to make me cry. Like I think about uh, what the fuck is a pancreas movie? I want to eat your I want pancreas. To eat your pancreas yeah. Like that was great. I really like that movie, but it did sometimes feel like cry porn. Like they were trying to get me to cry. And like, I don't need that. Like, I'll, I'll let the emotion build naturally. So it was nice to have a movie that didn't try to do those things. But anyway, 8 out of 10, what would you give it? I would give Suzume a 7.5 out of 10. I think it's a good film that is bold in tackling the heavy topic of trauma and learning to respect and move on from the past with its titular character. However, I feel that it's a little too ambitious in its approach and it tries to do a little too much while lacking in certain respects and at times feeling a bit derivative of things that we've seen in your name or weathering with you. I know it didn't really discuss this, but yeah, there are parts of this that I just felt like 
we've seen this kind of established in those previous films. Not to say like we can't see them again here, but uh, I would expect like a, a different sort of approach with each of Makoto Shinkai's films. Maybe it's just because this film has a clear and deep connection with Japan's history of natural disasters that I cannot resonate with this film as personally as with a Japanese audience. But outside of that, I think it's the story's surface level sort of exposition, it's over-reliance on metaphors, and it's disjointed pacing that ultimately clouded my understanding and appreciation of the film's uplifting message. Though I think at the very least, the film was a breathtaking and visual spectacle to behold as usual with comics wave at the helm. And of course, I think Suzume is a very strong character to go on this adventure and really sort of discover herself along the way. So I'll conclude that it's not my personal favorite of the three Makoto Shinkai films that we've seen thus far, but I still think it's worth the watch for any anime fan or any animated film fan in general, sort of as an appreciation for this acclaimed director's work and his knack for using the supernatural and opening the door to show us what makes us human. Where would you put this among the Makoto Shinkai films we've seen? So it's your name, it's Suzume, and it's Weathering With You. Right? We haven't seen any others? Yeah, those are the only three. Okay, where would you, like, what would your ranking be of those three? So my ranking actually goes in the order that they were released. So my number one is your name. My number two is Weathering With You. And my number three would be Suzume. What about you? I would say number one is your name. Number two is Suzume. Number three is Weathering With You. Mm, I just can't get over the gun in Weathering With You. Like that just pissed me <laughs> off so much. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think Suzume is still more enjoyable than Weathering With You. Not to say that Weathering With You was bad. It's just that Suzume was more enjoyable for me. Yeah, I love the running after the girl thing, the weathering <laughs> with you. <laughs> That's what. Well, here you get running after the chair, the girl running after the boy, yeah. but except except the boy's a chair. <laughs> no, I, it subverts expectations. That, that's also great in Suzume, but yeah, I just love the first two films a little bit more. And we're curious to know if any of you guys have a specific ranking of Makoto Shinkai films. Where would you put Suzume among the rest of them? Reach out and let us know. But thank you as always for listening. We love you guys and we appreciate you. Subscribe to Strictly Anime on your favorite podcast service. Join our Discord and chat with us and tell us your ranking of his films. Follow us on Instagram at The Strictly Series, on Twitter at Strictly Series, and check out our website, thestrictlyseries.com. If you'd like to support the show like our newest patron, Clique, if I'm saying that correctly, <laughs> then head over to patreon.com slash thestrictlyseries. And tune into Strictly Jojo, our other podcast dedicated to Jojo's Bizarre Adventure. All links are in the description. Thank you so much for listening. And as always, stay safe, stay healthy, stay weeb.